Okay, we're learning Daftaf. Uh, we're starting from a few lines down here. This idea that we don't mix one simcha with another simcha, what is the source for it? So we got into this because the Mishnah said that a person is not allowed to get married on Chol We gave a few reasons for it. But the first one was that we don't mix one simcha with another simcha. So where is that principle derived from? It says when they were building the Beis HaMikdash, after they finished building it, they wanted to have a Chanukah Sabai, so a sort of dedication to it. So what does the Pasuk say? Shlomo made that time, he made the Chag, he made some sort of party. Everyone was with him, a huge, a huge community here. From the Hamas all the way down to Nachmatzrayim, everyone came in front of Hashem, Shivas Yom, and they came for seven days. And then there was another seven days, Arba Asr Yom, which it was a total of 14 days. So the timeline here is that there were seven days before Sukkot, which they were celebrating as the dedication to the base of Mikdash, the dedication of the temple. And then there were another seven days after that that were Sukkot, celebrating the holiday. So that means it was a total, says the Pasuk of 14 days. If it would be true that there's nothing wrong with mixing two joyous things, so then, why wouldn't Shlomo just delay until Sukkot and just make the seven days for this and for that? Meaning, why is he making it that the seven days of the celebration are before and then afterwards we have another seven days of Sukkot? Why don't we just mix them together? Must be, we learn from here, you can't bundle together two different simchas. Says the Gemara, that's not a proof. Maybe the reason why he didn't combine them is because we don't delay. Right? In other words, the, shlo- the base of Mekdush is complete. What are you going to say? Let's take a week break and then make it conveniently for us on Sukkot? No, that's disrespectful to the base of Mekdush. Once you finish the base of Mekdush, whenever it happens, now you, now you celebrate. But where it so happened to be that somebody, I don't know, happened to get married, there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, I can't get married now because it's a Cholamoid. So maybe if it happens to occur, there's nothing wrong with mixing two simchas. The issue here with the base of Mekdush, the reason why he had first the Chanukah Zavais before the Chag, it's only because you don't push off the celebration until, in order to be ma'arifit. And the point, l'chayra, is that it would be disrespectful to the Beis Mikdash to push it off. Says the Gemara, no, he could have figured it out. If you could mix, then you know what he could have done? He could have left over a part of the building. He, if he saw that the building was going to be complete, and again, it's disrespectful not to make the party right away, and, and, and really it would be more convenient to do on Sukkot, so he could have a solution, he could, he could make sure not to finish part, he could finish everything minus a little part of the construction, and then finish that right before on Erev Sukkot, and then that would conveniently uh, orchestrate that, that he would be mixing the two Simchas. Must be that you can't mix them. Again, we go back to our proof. Says the Gemara, that's also not disrespectful. You wouldn't delay the building of the base of Mikdash. You know, it looks horrible, right? It's disrespectful and it looks like you're just orchestrating the whole thing to make it more convenient. We don't play around like that. So maybe really we're going back to really there's no proof. Really, really theoretically you'd be able to have a Chanukah Sabayis on Cholamot. The reason why it didn't happen in times of Shlomo is because it so happened to be that the Binyan of the Beis HaMikdash was finished earlier. And you can't delay, delay the, the finishing touches of the Beis HaMikdash. And then once the, the Binyan is finished, you can't delay the celebration. Says the Gemara, no, there's still something he could have done. He should have left over the Amma of the, of the thing that chases away the birds. So this is on the roof of the Beis HaMikdash. It went narrow and right at the very top, there was some sort of Amma there was some sort of ama, and that's a dimension, and it was, it was covered with like these iron things that would scare away the birds, right? It, would, it was like spiky, and they would make sure that no birds would come on top of the Beis HaMikdash. So the point of this is, is that it's not really, 
part of the base of Mikdash. It's like, you know, some like last, last, almost like an afterthought to the construction. It's not about the actual din building of the base of Mikdash. So the point is, it wouldn't be disrespectful to leave that over. But on the other hand, you're not going to celebrate when, until it's done. So that should be the perfect balance. It's not disrespectful that I'm, you know, I'm not finishing the construction. Number two, I'm not delaying the celebration after I finish. So he could have done it that way. And then he could have made sure that the celebration would fall during Kalamot. So the Gemara again counters that that's not true. It must be, what's the Gemara's proof again? It must be that a Marvin Simchavsim was. That's the Gemara, no. Really, Marvin Simchavsim was the reason he couldn't do that. Amakaya or if Torah Binyan by is the Amma is really considered a Torah Binyan. It's part of the Atzim Binyan Besamekdash. Why? Even though it might not be, you know, something that appears so important, but it's in need of the Besamekdash, right? If you wouldn't have it, then, 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 then it would actually be chaser in the din of the height of the base of Mikdash. Meaning, it's not just an afterthought after the construction of the base of Mikdash is over. It's actually part of the etzim din binyan. The Gemara is saying it's a big chiddush. For example, if the binyan, it wouldn't be considered that it was built correctly if it was built, wasn't built with the right amma there. I bet that dimension on top. So therefore, back we're back to the point that it's disrespectful to leave over a part of the building. So now he had no option but to finish it, and then once it's finished, he has no option but to celebrate right away. But maybe, really, we are ma'ar simcha v'simcha. So we do not have a good enough proof from the etzim story that a ma'arvin says the Gemara Ella. You know where the proof is? cross. Not from the fact itself that the celebration was the week before Sukkot. It's from the language of the pasuk Michli. It says to It says in the pasuk that was for fourteen days. Why do I need the Pasuk to specify that it was seven days and then seven more days? Why do I need it to say it that way? The Pasuk is coming to say that they were separate. You know why it's coming to say that they were separate? Because they needed to be separate. It could have just said there was a total 14-day celebration. It didn't say it that way because it was important for us, the reader of the Pasuk, to take away that the seven and seven had to be distinct. And the reason is, So therefore, we end up with a proof simply from the language of the way that it is said. Says the Gemara, That year they didn't have Yom Kippur. What does that mean? That they ate and drank on the day of Yom Kippur. It was the seven days before Sukkot, including the tenth day, the tenth day of Tishrei. So that overlapped with the celebration for the Chanukah Zabayis. So they, the, the Chanukah Zabayis was Docha Yom Kippur. They ate, they feasted. They ate and they drank that year on Yom Kippur. They were nervous about themselves that they made, they made the wrong decision. Maybe the enemies of the Jewish people deserve to be destroyed. And that's a euphemism for themselves. Maybe the Jewish people deserve punishment for eating on Yom Kippur. Yosabasko came out and said, You have nothing to worry about. You're all prepared for the life in Olam Abba. So the Gemara tries to understand what was the debate. Should they have eaten on Yom Kippur? Should they not have eaten Yom Kippur? What's the give and take here? My Darsh, what did they expound? Meaning, how, with what did they see fit to eat and drink? If regarding the Mishkan, when they dedicated the Mishkan, so this goes back to the times of Moshe Rabbeinu Parshas Nasa. The Kedusha, the Mishkan, is not forever, right? It was something where, where it was... Um, Whereas only while the base of Mikdash was stood, then people had to bring Carvanos Dafka there, but after it was destroyed, right? We know Bamas were motor. It's only something transient, something temporary about the Mishkan. The Carbon Yachid and the types of Carbanos that were brought at the Chanukah Sabbath, we know this, we read it always on Chanukah, right? All the Shvatim and Carbanos, all those Carbanos that they brought each day, those were all Carbanos Yachid. They were private Carbanos. They were brought by the Nassim. They weren't even communal. So a private Carbon that was brought in honor of the inauguration of the Mishkan, which is not everlasting type of Gedusha. It still was able to override Shabbos, where violation of Shabbos, desecration of Shabbos is an Isr Skila. So they brought private Karbanos for a Kedusha that's only temporary 
on a day that when you violate Malacha, you're Chayev Skila. If so, Mikdash, Kedush, Kedush, Olam, then we'll be dedicated to the base of Mikdash, where the Kedusha is forever, even after the base of Mikdash is destroyed. Bombos are still Asr, and the idea is that the Shekhinah is always present in the base of Mikdash. The Karban Zibar, and the Karbanos that they were bringing were Karbanos Zibar. It says everyone of Klai Yisrael was there. Rashi says it's Mashman that they were all part of the Karbanos being brought. And only the severity that we're dealing with in Yom Kippur is only punishment of Karis. It's not a death penalty. Well, Koshikin, certainly the Karbanos should be able to override. So the idea that the Gemara is saying is that we're using the Kabbalah Homer to say that we're darshaning and expounding that it makes sense for sure that they should be able to override Yom Kippur that, that year. Now, what's very interesting is that the Gemara is going to get to it in a second. That's not for eating and drinking. That's for the bringing of Karbanos. In other words, the, the law is you're not allowed to do Malach on Yom Kippur. So what they saw is that but for our Karbanos, which are being brought, we should certainly be allowed to do it. Why? Because if the Chanukah Samishkon was able to have Karbanos, which were Docha, even though it was a Karban Yachad, and it was only Kedusha and Kedusha Zolim, and it's so Chamer of Shabbos, then certainly here where it's less Chamer than Shabbos, the Karbanos are Karban Tzibor, and the Kedusha is forever, certainly the bringing of Karbanos should be Docha. That was the, what they were darshaning here to, be, to bring them. So the Gemara says, once they had such a strong drasha that they were allowed to do it, then why were they worried? Meaning, what were they so insecure about? Because over there, bringing karbanos, we understand, yes, it's, 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 it's not, what they weren't given a direct instruction, but to bring karbanos, we can understand it's permitted because it's the needs of Gavoah. You're bringing a karban to Hashem. But here you want to eat and you want to drink. So who are you eating and drinking for? You're enjoying it. It's not for Hashem, it's for you. So maybe such a thing is forbidden. So the Kavach doesn't have the right to expound that you can eat and drink. So the Gemara says, So if that's true, so let them have a celebration by eating and drinking, but not eat or drink. I'm sorry, let them ha- have a celebration by bringing Karbanos, but without eating and drinking. Meaning, if they're so insecure about the Kavach being right to allow them to eat and drink, then why they do it? Right? If they weren't sure if the Kavach allowed them to eat or drink, maybe the Kavach only allowed them to bring Karbanos, so then don't eat and drink. Just bring the Karbanos and don't eat and drink. But they had a principle that there's no way to properly enjoy something without eating and drinking. So it was an integral thing. So basically, they had a Kavachomer. The Kavachomer allowed them definitely to know that the, 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 something about the Chanukah Sabais was Doha. But what details? Was it only the Karbanos? Or did it include the eating as well? That's what they were insecure about. But on the other hand, they did it anyway because you can't have a party without food. That was that they weren't sure what was going on. So now the Gemara takes a step back and they wanted to know, what's really the source? How do we know that the Nisim, when they were bringing Karbanos by the Mishkan, how do we know that in fact it, over, it, over, it overrided Shabbos? It says on the first day and then eventually it says the seventh day. So that means it must be the seventh day of the week. No, maybe it doesn't mean it was the seventh day of the week. It means it was the seventh day of bringing Karbanos. When it says on the seventh day this person brought his Karbanos, it doesn't mean the seventh day of the week. It means the seventh day of Karbanos being offered, but maybe really they took a break for Shabbos. How do you know it overrode Shabbos? It says on the eleventh day. So it's an extra word. So we compare as follows. The word is coming to teach you just as a day. By definition, it's consecutive, right? A day is one entity. So too, all 11 days were consecutive. It's coming to tell us that there was no break. All 11 days, each one followed each other. There was no break in the days. So if there's no break in between the days, then obviously we know a carbon was brought in Shabbos. Maybe it means there was no break on days which were fit to bring a carbon. Obviously, they didn't bring on Shabbos, but on days where they could bring a carbon, it was consecutive. So meaning they did not take a break unnecessarily from the carbon. 
says the Mark Sivkarina, we have another Pasik. Biyom Shne Masaryams. Here too, it's an extra word. It says on the day, on the twelfth day. It comes to teach us my Yom Kul Ratsu just as day is consecutive. All twelve days are consecutive. Says the maybe over here as well, it just means that they brought in consecutive days that they were fit to bring a carbon, but not that it was literally consecutive even on Shabbos. And came to Ikari Lavali, says the Gemara back, why wouldn't you do Pasuk saying the same thing? It, already, it says both on day 11 and on day 12, the extra word, Biyom, and then it says on day 11, Ashdei Asayom, and on day 12 it says Biyom, Shem Asayom. So in both cases, it's the extra word of Ayom. So it must be, it's not only is it telling me that it were consecutive days that were fit to bring a Karban, it's telling me it was literally consecutive days and it overrode Shabbos, they were bringing it even on the Shabbos. So now that we have the source which being brought, even on the Shabbos, so now we get back to the Beis HaMikdash. What's the source that the Beis HaMikdash was Doche Yom Kippur? In other words, we keep on saying that that was a fact and we're telling how they did it and they expounded a Kavach Homer, but how do we know from the Pesukim that they actually did it? Maybe because it says there were 14 day celebration and the, and the implication is that it was straight, including the middle day of Yom Kippur. Maybe here it just means days that were fit to have festivities, but it didn't include Yom Kippur. How do we know that they actually had the celebration even on Yom Kippur? So the Gemara says, Gamar Yom Yom Mehasam. We say that no. We learn from the Xerah Shava of Yom Yom from the base of from the Mishkan. Just as over there it says by the Mishkan Yom and they brought Karbanos and overrode Shabbos. So to here it says Yom and they, they were bringing Karbanos and they overrode Yom Kippur. So what happened? The Basko comes out and says, You're all prepared for Olam Haba. How do we know that Hashem forgave them? In other words, what's the source, right? We're just saying that it happened, right? Everything was good. But how do we know? Where do we see in the Pesukim an indication that they were, that Hashem uh, agreed with them and He forgave them for eating in Yom Kippur? The Tanit Achliva, Tachliva says in a Brayzer, after the whole party, what happened? It says, Bayom HaShmini on the eighth day, this is after Sukkah, Shilach HaSa'am, the king sent away the people. They blessed the king, they went back to their tents, they were happy, they were very happy. For all the good Hashem had done for David, his servant, and for Kla Yisrael. So we expound what's all this happiness. They went back to their tent. They went back and they saw that their wives were pure. In other words, it was a thing that their wives, none of them were nidos when they returned. They were joyous. They were nana from the ziv and the radiance of the shechina. They were happy. They returned home. All their wives conceived to a baby boy from having relations afterwards. I'll call out Tovah for all the good. She has a basket on the hem. All the good was that the basket emerged. So we see this idea that in fact they were, they were pardoned. We see it from the Pasuk itself. I just want to mention something very quickly. It seems that from our Gemara, that the Mishkan which was brought, and the, the Karbanos that were brought in the Nesim of the Mishkan was a Karban Yachin. It had the din of a private car offering. Lamaisa, there's a pretty famous Medrash, which is against our Gemara. The Medrash says, oh, what's the Pshat that the Nesim brought Karbanos on Shabbos? Ah, you're not allowed to bring a carbon on Shabbos. So the measure says, since all the Nisim brought the exact same carbon, so it had a din of a carbon seed, but not a din of a carbon yachid. That's a pretty famous idea you always hear about the Nisim. Why do we read all the Nisim? As in, what's going on? We get the idea. They all brought the same thing. So just say, everybody brought this carbon, right? So we say that no, really it was carbon yachid. And it was the echidos of each one of them that they all were able and comfortable to bring the same thing. And we all express this idea of what we see here in the Medrash, so on and so forth. So just it's important to know that there is a machlokas between that Medrash and our Gemara. Our Gemara is saying that it was more like a hurrah shah, that it didn't really, it was a carbon yachin, and it didn't really have the right intuitively to override. But we darsh in Mikayach the Pasuk that it was able to. It's, it was really had the, only the power of a singular carbon. That's what it seems like more from our Gemara. 
Okay, now we look at the end of the Pasuk. It says, we think that Hashem, they were happy with all the good that Hashem did. The David Avla Yisrael Amo, for David his servant, and for Kla Yisrael. Bisham Yisrael Amo, we understand, that's what we're saying. What did Hashem do for the people? The Achalu Avon Yom Kippur, he forgave them for eating on Yom Kippur. Ela David Avdo Mahi, what was the good that Hashem did for David his servant? Amar of Yehuda, not that Hashem didn't do good for David, but what were they feeling specifically at this moment? At the inauguration, when Shlomo wanted to bring in the base of Mikdash, the Aaron, inside the base of Mikdash, the gates of the base of Mikdash, they closed. They refused to open. Amr Shlomo, as Rabbi Barbara, notice he sang four, 24 different types of songs. And what happened? Velonen, he still wasn't answered. Pasach for Amr, he started saying, didn't he? Pick up your gates. Velonani wasn't answered. Eventually, he said the pasuk here that Hashem should remember the chesed, all the good things that David did. As soon as he, as soon as he invoked the power, the remember the memory of David. At that point, he was answered, and the gates opened up. At that point, the faces of David's enemies turned black. They turned dark with humiliation, like the bottom of a pot. What's the nakuda? With David, there was always a question. His enemies, his naysayers said that he sinned with Bathsheba and he was never forgiven. So at this point, when Shlomo said his memory and then the gates opened and allowed the, the Aaron to come in, that was the ultimate vindication for David HaMalach. And then it was known that Hashem really forgave David for the transgression, for the sin that he had with Bathsheba. Says the Gemara, we learned something else here. Rabbi Yehuda ben Gerim, Rabbi Yehuda ben Gerim, they studied the parsha of Nedarim by Reb Shimon Bar Yochai. It's a very interesting question here. If you look in the story in Shabbos when Rashbi was thrown into a cave, yeah, remember that? Who was the one who told on Rashbi to the Roman authorities? It was someone of Yudah Ben-Gerim. Is that the same Rebuda ben Gerim in Argamar? Very interesting question to know. Who is this Rebuda ben Gerim? Obviously, it's not the Tana Rebuda Bar Yochai. You know, he's a different person. But um, anyways... So, so Rabbi Yonason and Rabbi Yudah ben Gerim were learning the story of the Parsha of Nadarim by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. They took leave of him in the night, meaning they said goodbye to him, they, they bet him farewell. So they thought they were leaving. But then what happened? Let's have for come after him. In the morning, they came back and they started saying a whole other goodbye. So I'm a little mini boards. Why you say, you know, what's going on? Why are you saying all these farewells now? Goodbyes now in the morning. We did this already last night. I'm a They said, my daughter, Rabbeinu, you taught us. Let's say you take leave of a rabbi. You expect to leave at night, but for whatever reason, you end up staying overnight in the city. You got to go back in the morning and say goodbye to him a second time. Shinemar, where do we see this? It says by Shlomo here. And the the people. the king. So that means that Shlomo told the people to leave on the eighth day, the eighth day of Sukkot. The eighth day of Sukkot is what day? 22nd of Tishrei. Sounds like they were still leaving with Mama Shmini Atzeres. It sounds like a strange thing. How are they leaving on Shmini Atzeres? But anyways, it says that they're leaving here on the eighth day. But then it says on the 23rd day of the Tishrei, that he sent away the people. So what's going on? If they're leaving Shlomo on the 22nd and they're having the whole bracha, so what's going on taking leave of him now on the 23rd of Tishrei? Must be that that's exactly what happened. You got the Talmud, Hashem Niftim Rav, alone was a year. If a Talmud takes leave of his teacher, but he ends up staying overnight in the city, so he has to take leave of him a second time when he's ready to go. So they took leave of him a second time because they ended up staying that night in Yushalayim and only leaving on the 23rd. So that's why they came back. said to his son, who is Rabbi Shimon Ba'echai's son? Rabbi Lazar, right? These men, they're great people, right? They're big Talmud. 
So coming Levarchon, you should go to them, say you should get a bracha from them. So Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon now goes to these other people and he finds them asking contradiction in Tupsuk. On the one hand, if Pali's maga raglech v'chol rachacha yikonu, weigh whatever you're going to do, and you'll decide what to do. Meaning, if you have two mitzvahs to do, you should weigh them. Weighing means decide to do whichever one is the greater one of the two. What's a major mitzvah? What's a minor mitzvah? So it's not so easy to know, right? Because normally we say you don't know what a schayr the mitzvah is, right? Even a mitzvah kala. So the idea is you should treat every mitzvah equal. But lamais, if you have two mitzvahs in front of you, you can decide which one is a more major mitzvah. You see that in the Gemara. Anyways, very interesting idea. So if it sounds like in that pasuk, that if you have two mitzvahs, you should decide, you should weigh which one is bigger and do the greater one. But then it says elsewhere that then when you have a path in life, you shouldn't weigh. Pentafalis, it's not good to weigh two mitzvahs. Meaning, well, whatever mitzvah comes first, just do whichever one comes first. So which, which one, what's the right thing to do? So the Gemara explains, Lo, Kasha, If you have a mitzvah which, cannot, which could be done with other people, so then you could do the greater mitzvah yourself and leave the smaller mitzvah for somebody else to do. So, whereas, if it's no one else is going to do it, so then you should do the mitzvah as soon as it comes before the person without weighing it against the second mitzvah to determine which is greater. So what's happening? Let's make sure we understand what's going on. A, person, a mitzvah comes to a person, but they know that if they wait a second and they don't do this mitzvah, they'll wait, then there will be a greater mitzvah opportunity to come their way. Are they allowed to wait and do the second mitzvah, which is bigger, and leave the first mitzvah, which is smaller? The answer is, if no one else is going to do the smaller mitzvah, so then no, since it came first, you hop it first. Don't weigh your mitzvahs. But if somebody else can do the smaller mitzvah, then you, you are entitled to wait and go engage in the second mitzvah. Now, there's another rule in Allah called Osik Mitzvah Patamana Mitzvah. When you're engaged in one mitzvah, you're exempt from another mitzvah. And that's true, the Rishonim tell us, even if the second mitzvah is bigger than the first mitzvah. The Terence says, there, you're talking about you already started. If you already started the small mitzvah, vat, you don't interrupt even for a bigger mitzvah. That's not what Argomar is talking about. Argomar is talking about the, the cheshman that a person is making. A mitzvah comes to you, an opportunity. Should I engage in it? I know if I wait, there's going to be a bigger opportunity. So if the first mitzvah somebody else can do, can somebody else can take care of, then I can wait and do the second mitzvah, a bigger mitzvah. But if nobody else would do it, then I take care of the mitzvah, first mitzvah, which came first. Big kolom here from the Gemara. Another shiloh that they had. This is such a gavaldagi yisoyed in Talmud Torah. They were sitting and they had a question. It says about Torah, it's greater than pearls and nothing can be compared to it. None of your own desires are compared. It sounds like other things, mitzvot, could be compared to it. In other words, the Torah is emphasizing your personal things are never going to be on the level of Torah. The implication is that a mitzvah, the chafsei shamayim, could be on the level of Torah. But another passage says, No desire can be compared. Even a mitzvah is incomparable. So which one is bigger? Is Torah bigger than any mitzvah? Or is a mitzvah equal to Torah? And basically the question is, more or less in practical terms, should you ever stop learning to do a mitzvah? So the answer is, The idea is, if it's a mitzvah which could be performed through somebody else, then you're allowed to learn Torah and allow somebody else to do the mitzvah. But if it's a mitzvah which cannot be fulfilled for somebody else, then you set aside the Torah and you go and you do the mitzvah. This is the idea of fein mishalacha. So we say on the one hand, you know, that Talmud Torah is the biggest thing, right? Talmud Torah can I get gula. But here we see in the Gemara that if a mitzvah, if you're in the middle of learning and a mitzvah comes your way, what's the halacha? Imam, you have to stop learning and go do the mitzvah. So what's the vart? And let's ask another question. If, if Talmud Torah is so great, then why should I stop? And the second question is, why don't I say Osipah Mitzvah here? Here I'm talking in the middle of learning. So if I'm in the middle of learning, definitely, why don't I say Osipah Mitzvah, Patamana Mitzvah? What's the Yisait? What's the Yisait that, that you don't do it? 
lot of different mahalchim out there in the Achronim, how to understand this concept of mitzvah, that a mitzvah comes and it can't be done through somebody else, that one is expected to learn. So one of the big nekudas, many different ways I understand. I'm just going to show out one. So the word is from the stipler, going, the word from the stipler, he explained that 100% Torah is bigger than any other mitzvah you're ever going to do. But Torah is a type of learning. It has to be the type of learning that is on the It's in other words, it has to be that it's not coldly intellectual. The Torah that we do is done in order to, to bring a person to mitzvahs. Now, that doesn't mean that doing the mitzvah is bigger than Torah. Ah, no, 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 no. Learning is bigger. But the type of learning that is big is because it's learning that's not coldly intellectual, but to bring a person to be able to do. If you get the opportunity to do a mitzvah and I stop in order to learn, then I just reflect that my Torah is not Amanas Lasos. If my Torah would be Amanas Lasos and a mitzvah opportunity comes, then clearly I'm going to go do the mitzvah. So Avada, the Torah is bigger than the mitzvah, but it, it still makes sense that I have to stop learning in order to do it. It's an awesome contradiction. My Torah is bigger. So I'm talking about Gloom. It's the biggest mitzvah out there. But if I wouldn't stop to do the mitzvah, if I would make my learning more primary than the mitzvah in a practical sense, then my Torah is not a great Torah. Because then my Torah is not Amanas Lasos. That's the Stipe Lagoon's perspective. There are other perspectives as well, but that's a very sharp, interesting perspective here. At any rate, after this thing that Rabbi Yonah's son um, and Rabbi Yudah were discussing, now they realize that Rabbi Shemar Baruchai's son is waiting for them. So, Amrulei Mappa, Yisachah, what are you doing here? Amrulei, he said, that's what my dad told me, Rashbi told me. Go to them, they should give you a brachah. So, Amrulei, they said, you know what should be the well of Hashem? You should plow, but you shouldn't harvest. Tea of low tape book, you should take in and not take out. Tape book below tile, bring out and not take in. Look her base of lace of Lushbizak, your house should be destroyed, and your inn should um an inn that you have should be used. Your table should be um disturbed, and you should never see a new year. So what does it sound like they're saying to him? A bunch of curses, right? All these weird things. So he didn't know what in the world all these things meant. So he also got vivu when when the son got back to his father. Amale he said, "Lomi by the and it's not enough that they didn't give me a bracha. They put me in pain. Right? It sounded like they gave me a curse." So Amalei Rav Shimon said, "My what did they say to you already?" So he said, "This is what this is what they said to me." So Amalei Rav Shimon said. You're misunderstanding what they're saying. They're really blessing you. Each thing that they're saying is a bracha. It's just very like um, cryptic. You have to interpret it. This that they said you should plant and not harvest. They meant you'll plant, you'll have children. They won't die. You'll never, you'll never gather them in. You'll bring in and not bring out. You'll take in daughters and your children will not die so that the daughters-in-law will never leave. The daughters-in-law will always stay by you. Tapuk, you'll bring out velo ta'ayo and not bring in. That means tolu benasa. You'll have daughters who will marry velo yomos who rise Their husbands will not die, which will cause them to return to you. So meaning you'll marry off your daughters and they'll never come back to you, and that's a good thing. The point is that their husbands will stay alive and a happy. They'll be in a happy relationship and they won't come back to your home single. Your home will be destroyed and your inn will be used. That means. The Hali Alma Ushbizak, this world is an in, the next world is a permanent home. In imagination, the house is forever. It doesn't mean imagination, it means the graves. So, meaning the bracha is that the thing that's like the grave should be destroyed and, and, and you should live forever. Meaning, the grave should remain unused, the permanent thing, and the in, which is life in this world, should be very long. 
So he basically, he's basically getting a bracha for a longevity, that he's going to live for a very long time. The, the house is not going to be used. The kever will not be used, but rather the in the temporary world, will be your life. Your table will be disturbed. That means right? you can have the tons of kids, and they're going to do disturbing things. So that's not a disturbance, right? That's a, that's a, that's a pleasure. You will not, you see a new year. Your wife will not die. And if you won't have to marry another woman. So the idea is that a new year is because of Shana Rishona. The Pasuk says in Shana Rishona, you have to be only with your wife. So you're not going to see a new year as a, 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 a euphemism for saying you're not going to get married again. You're going to be married once and that's going to be your only marriage. So everything that they said was really a cryptic bracha. Says the Gemara, another place where we see like bracha was given, and it was done in a very, very way that was concealed. Rav Shemar was leaving Rav. Rav said to his son, Go to him, so he'll bless you. Shimon said, That you do not embarrass other people, and you will not be embarrassed by other people. In other words, do not come to embarrass other people so that you yourself won't be embarrassed. That's the point. So also, Gabi came to his father, what did he say to you? He said like strange words, meaning I know what he said. He said, I shouldn't embarrass other people so they won't embarrass me, but I don't really understand the depth of it. So Amalei, his father said, He gave you a beautiful block that Hashem blessed Klai Yisrael, and he explained what it was. You will eat, eat, and be satisfied, and you will praise and you, my, my people will never be shamed. You will know I'm in the middle of Klaisol. My people will never be shamed. So my people, the idea of what we see from here is don't embarrass somebody else and therefore you will avoid embarrassment. So now as the point is, it might seem like words, but it's really the interpretation of this Pasuk here in, um, in, where is this Pasuk? Yov? No, Yoah. It's from Pasuk from Yoah. And the point that we see here is that is a special bracha from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that a person should never have embarrassment. And the school of never to have embarrassment is by respecting other people. All right, now we go back to the Mishnah analyzing the laws of Cholam So we talked about whether or not a woman can adorn herself on Cholam Again, the theme here is a person's not allowed to do malacha on Cholam But things that are Tzorah Chamoed, things that are for the need of the Moed to look good, you could. So she could do all her adornments. She could paint her eyes, but second she could part her hair. She could put the Srak, like some sort of... Um, Red dye on her face that makes her a little bit redder. She could put a razor over her lower face, which means to shave her pubic hair. So all of these things, really cutting hair is a malach. It's also a cholamoid. But all these things are mutter. Let's for her to look good. Says the Gemara, the visit of Rav wife was once adorning herself in front of her daughter, daughter-in-law with some of these things. So this is a funny Gemara. They were sitting and watching this and they're saying, why is she allowed to do it? A young girl, for her to look good, she's allowed to do the, adorn herself on Cholamoid. It's Sarah Cholamoid. I was gain a low. For an old woman, why should she be allowed to? So they basically were asking him, how do you let your wife do this? She's old already, right? What does she got to look good for? So Amalei Rechista said, I look him, I swear, I feel even your mother. It's like the ultimate thing. Even your mother is allowed to. He like said that. Yeah, you're saying my wife's not allowed to. Even your mother could. I feel even your grandmother. I feel I'll give her even a woman who's about to be buried. She's mamish old. She's allowed to apply makeup. Why? You know what people say? The epic expression here about she think about shit. tavlarata. Sixty year old is like a six year old that they run after the sound of the bells. What does that mean? Rashi explains they used to play the bells at a wedding. 
Everybody gets fired up for a wedding. Obviously, the excitement of a wedding is a six-year-old. But even a six-year-old, a 60-year-old, it never gets old. Right? There are certain things in life that the excitement is always there. So even the 60-year-old runs to the, to the sound of the bells. So what's the nikuda of the expression? That there's the same thing with adorning yourself. That a 60-year-old is like a six-year-old girl. Right? Everybody loves putting on the makeup. It's just as exciting to a six-year-old as a six-year-old. Unbelievable gemara. Okay. Talk to gemara. Rabbi Yehuda Amar Lotas, Rabbi Yehuda said you can't put the, right, there's a certain line that goes on the face that it's, that's, eventually will make her face glow, but in the moment when it's put on, it doesn't look good. So it puts her in distress. So, so the Tanakhama says it's allowed, Rabbi Yehuda says it's not allowed. So Tanya says, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Isha Lotas, when they should never allow, she can't do it because it makes her look bad. In the moment, it causes her discomfort. Mod Rabbi Yehuda agrees that if the lime is going to call on Cholamoid, so then Tovlamoid, she could she could apply on Cholamoid. Obviously, Mitzri Ashad, even though in the beginning of Cholamoid, while it's on her, it makes her look bad. But afterwards, she'll be happy. So, meaning Rabbi Yehuda's whole point is that if the if the fulfillment, if the happiness won't come till after Cholamoid, she can't put it on Cholamoid because in the moment when it's on her, it doesn't look good, and she's not going to enjoy Cholamoid. But if she's going to enjoy it later on Cholamoid, then it's allowed. Rabbi the holder that's far, that's something that causes just just now is mutter. If the joy will come at a later time in Cholamoid, is that mutter of Atanan? It says in the Mishnah, which is again, that's the essence of Rabbi Yudah. The Chum and allow you to put it on. Rabbi Yudah only allows you to put it on if later on Cholamoid, you'll, you'll be happy. So even though you're in distress now, but if later on Cholamoid, you'll enjoy it, then it's okay. So Rabbi Yudah hold that way, but we know from the Mishnah of Odazara. So what's the, it's just a little background before a holiday. You're not allowed to do something that's going to make the guy happy on his holiday. Why? Because you might be causing him to go bow to Avodah He's going to go thank his getchka on his holiday. So, for example, you're not allowed to do business with them. You're not allowed to lend them money. Rabbi Yudah says, in the front of the nation, you can take a, loan, a repayment of a loan. Meaning, if I lent him money, I can accept payment from the loan from the guy right before the holiday. Why? Because it's a sad thing for the guy. It's not a good thing. The guy is parting with his money. He's not going to be happy because he paid back the loan. So Amalov the Chum said back up. He should make Asha, even though he's he's sad now in the moment when he pays back the money. but he's happy afterwards. Why? Because then there's a sense of relief that washes over him that I don't have the burden of the debt anymore on me. So what do we see? That Rabbi Yudah didn't accept that. Rabbi Yudah just goes after the current moment. The current moment when he pays, he's not happy. So, so what's the shot over here that Rabbi Yudah is saying that she can't put? She's allowed to put on the line if later on Cholamoeh she's going to be happy from it. So we see he's going with the cheshbon of later to determine what's happiness. We should say the same thing here. He should say like the Chachamim that you can't accept repayment of the loan from the guy because even though in the moment he is sad, but, but later he'll be happy. So No, is different. All in the moment aren't good, but they make you happy later. For example, cooking. You think cooking is fun? Cooking isn't fun itself. Cooking is fun because then you know that you're going to eat it, right? It feels good. So, so too here. Everything is like that. All malacha is determined by the ultimate gain, not by the moment. Mashenkin there, by the, by the repaying of loans, there, Rabbi Yudah says, it depends on the way we determine what's happening in the moment. In the moment, when the guy is paying you back, he is sad, not happy. Says the Gemara, another approach, Ravina Amar, Kuli Kuslin Peron, the Ola Mezar. A guy is always sad when he's paid back, meaning, a guy doesn't eventually feel happy that the burden, the burden of, of debt is off him. You know why? Because he could always just steal. Somebody who's planning on paying back, so then having the burden away, right, makes you feel good. But someone who doesn't care, to be honest, so then it never makes you feel good that you repaid. Says the Gemara, Jewish girls who have reached their stage, meaning they have puberty, they have pubic hair, but they're not yet of the age. So they're embarrassed. They would want to remove the hair very quickly. They don't want anyone to see. 
It's embarrassing. So the poor people would plaster it with lime. That's the way they remove the hair. The wealthy people would plaster it with flour. The daughters, the, the princesses, they would do it with Shemin Hamar, or there's oil from Mar. We know that from Queen Esther. My Shemin Hamar, you might remember this from Megillah. What is this Sitakas? Oil of olives that have not yet grown to a third of their ripeness. Evidently, that's very, very special oil. I'm pinky on is the same thing oil from olives that hasn't been a third ripe. Why do people smear it? Right? We're talking about the, the lime, the flour, the oil. Why do we do this? It removes the hair, and also gives a glow to the entire skin. Says the Gemara, Rabibi had a daughter, he smeared her limb by limb. In other words, one limb at a time was smeared, and her skin became very glowing. So what happened? Everybody wanted to marry her, but she became so beautiful. And he was able to get 400 zoos. You know, to, to everybody wanted to pay to marry the girls. He got 400 zoos to marry his beautiful daughter now. There was, there was once a kusi who lived in his neighborhood. He also had a daughter. He saw what Bibi did and he said, hey, let me do the same thing to my girl. But he smeared the whole body all at lime all at once. Umesa, she died. You know, it's this type of thing you have to do limb by limb, not all together. Alma, he said, Rabbi killed my daughter because I got it from him. Alma, Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said, when he heard about this, Rabbi drinks beer in his house. Therefore, his daughters need smearing with lime. Because evidently, the beer causes a lot of hair to grow and a lot of, a lot of weight gain, Rashi says. It makes a lot of sense, right? Beer belly, right? We don't drink the beer. We don't need all the smearing of lime to make them look good. It's only these people who had too much beer in their house that their daughters needed this whole treatment to look good. But we don't need it.